0: Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Welcome back to the Book of Daniel sermon series. Now we're on chapter five. The goal of chapter five is to see God's verdict on all of humanity as all of us have sinned and fall short. There are four main ideas we hope you walk away with. Belshazzar, the drunken, partying final king of ancient Babylon. Godly reputation, that remaining above reproach, free of scandal and corruption has its benefits. Partying while eternal, punishment is near. A comparison of Belshazzar's partying as the person's approach to the day of Jesus' inevitable return. And Mene tekel parson. Daniel's supernatural ability to translate writing on the wall, announcing condemnation to the Babylonian empire. Hold on to these ideas as they're being discussed today in this week's sermon, the writing is on the wall. Well, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I I literally did not want to stop, stop singing. I mean, I just felt like we were in a good worship. Can we like praise a good God in here? If we want to see the kingdom of God fall, can we worship a God that sends the kingdom on down? Amen. I am grateful to be able to gather with the body of Christ today. Those of you, if this is your first time in our gathering, we are grateful that you are here. It's a big deal for us. It's a big deal that you are worshiping with us today. And those of you who are online for the first time, man, it's so good to have you all on. Uh, We are a church that believes we exist to join Jesus and his mission to redeem our city. 2.6 million people live in this city, and we believe that uh, each and every person is somebody that Jesus wants to engage. And I think he engages it through us. I wish he would write, write the gospel with a big, you know, pink, puffy cloud in the sky, but he doesn't do that. He uses you. He uses you at work. He uses you at your family, with your family and on your block and those who live in your neighborhood and in your building. Uh, We have a responsibility to be the ambassadors of Christ. And so I'm grateful to be on mission here in this city. And part of that mission uh, requires me to preach the word of God, preach the gospel. So do me a favor, grab your Bibles. Y'all already know we go into Daniel. So grab your Bibles and go to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter five is where we're going to Hang out. We have been expositionally walking through uh, the book of Daniel. We did not skip the first four chapters, but for the last, uh, this is the fifth week, but the last four weeks we've been going through each and every chapter. And so we tried to take a, a big chunk and work our way through it. And I think one of the things that happens when you preach through books of the Bible is it helps us to understand the movement of God. I don't know if we figured that out. We, we, we haven't figured out how God moves. And I think one of the things that allows us to be aligned with the very will of God is by going through books of the Bible. Because you, you have to engage with whatever it is that is before you. And I think that the Spirit uses that in some supernatural way. And you might walk out and be like, man, I, I, don't, I don't know if that word was for me. And then six months later, you're like, oh. I remember that. But that's how God does. And so never underestimate our time um, of being able to get into the word of God. It is God's grace that we can do so uh, with no fear. We don't have to hide. We're not in the closet, but we can put Hello Brooklyn on the building and say, come on in here so we can hear the word and wrestle together. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter five today. We're going to be talking about the writing is on the wall. Anybody heard that, that, that saying before? Anybody listen to that Destiny Child album? I just found out, I didn't know. I just found out that that was a Destiny Child. I tried to say it like I knew. I just found out today that was a Destiny Child album. The title of it was The Writings on the Wall. But anybody has ever heard that idiom before? Yeah, The writing is on the Wall is is, is when you see somebody's life in in a downward spiral. And you're like, it's only a matter of time. Why? Because the writing is on the wall. It, it, It is a clear sign that something unpleasant is about to happen. And you actually you, you actually see us moving toward or that person or, or that situation moving toward um, the writing being on the wall. Well, did you know that that idiom finds its origin in Daniel chapter five? Modern day idioms like that. We can create albums if we want to. The, the, the originator of the album was God in Daniel chapter five. And so I'm excited about this book. Uh, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And then, uh, and then I'm gonna say Amen. I'm gonna announce the topic again, and y'all gonna act like this is Super Bowl. Y'all gonna talk back. I'm gonna talk to y'all. Y'all gonna talk back, and we are gonna have an exchange, a conversation. Is that all right? Amen. Lord, we are back at it again, and we do so fully dependent on your Spirit to break out. We cannot hear without you. We cannot. I can't preach without you. Um, we can't understand your Word without you. Uh, This is not a moment just full of academics. It's not just a moment that we just take notes, but this is a moment where you transform our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak through this text. Help me not to add anything or take anything away, but just as it was good when it was first written, pray that we would apply that to our lives. It's in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Somebody look at your neighbor and just say, the writing is on the wall. Yo, do y'all remember... And some of y'all look too young to remember this, but do y'all remember the turning of the millennium, 1999, going into 2000? Y'all remember Y2K? Now, 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 Y2K, you know, it was it was a lot of fear that was attached to Y2K. Many people thought that uh, there was going to be a bug in the system and that bug was going to uh, corrupt the system in such a way that the the banks were going to come crashing down and. You know, electricity was going to be turned off. In fact, I was talking to Ashton earlier between services and he was telling me that uh, the church he was going to was 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 preaching that it was pushing that. And everybody stocked up on canned goods. And and, and he said his father bought two. Can I share this? His father bought two generators. Too late now. And it's already living on the Web. So he said his father bought two generators. I had friends that bought canned goods, and, and, and I can just tell you now, they bought a bunch of Spam, but if Spam is the, my last resort, just go ahead and let your boy check on out, out of here. I don't do slimy, salty meat inside of a can, in the words of, of Randy Jackson, it's a no for me, dog, I, I just don't eat that. But Y2K was something different, man. Every, people were really, really nervous. Now, 1999 was the year I graduated. It was the first year, so every year, my, I grew up in a, in, a, in a very, very, very religious household. Um, my parents did the best they could to point me toward, uh, toward the cross, and I, I remember you know, growing up, every single New Year's, every single New Year's, we were in church. In fact, they didn't even call it church. Y'all know what they called it. We was in a watch night service every single year but you know i started to feel myself in 1999 because i just graduated you know high school in the summer and so i was like i ain't going to church i ain't going to church on new year's and then new year's came and i found myself in church (laughs) but that was the first year i said i'm going to leave church and i'm going to go and find me a party now everybody was throwing a party at that time everybody was everybody threw a party and then everybody played uh, Prince's Party like it's 1999. Because, you know, that's just, it, it was contextually relevant. It made sense. But I, re- I went to a party after church, and when I got there, you know, it was my first time going to a party. So I pulled out every dance move I knew the Percolator, the Cabbage Patch, y'all don't know nothing about that. The Roger Rabbit, Follow Me played, I almost lost my mind. I did The Running Man, I did all of them at one time, you know because this is my first time at a party on New Year's night. Now here's the crazy thing, in the midst of all of the fear that people were experiencing during Y2K, Y2K did not stop people from partying. If anything, it turned up the parties. Because people was like, if we are gonna go out, we might, might as well go out with a bang. I don't know if y'all saw the movie The Last Holiday with Queen Latifah. I was telling my, my son earlier, he hasn't, he hasn't seen it. I told him earlier this week, in this movie with Queen Latifah, she she was a Georgia Bird, and she you know got diagnosed with a with a terminal illness. And in the movie, she takes out all of her money because she reflected on her life, and she lived a very conservative and quiet life. So she took out all her money. She jumps on a plane, a private plane, by the way, and gets to Europe and spends all of her money, only to find out at the end of the movie that the diagnosis was false, that she actually wasn't dying, but she done spend all of her money. This is consistent with a lot of us in this room, because here's why. When death is near, we tend to try to distract ourselves with amusement. And in the passage that is before us, that is exactly what is happening. In the passage before us, the, the context is y'all remember back in chapter two where Nebuchadnezzar had the, the dream of the statue, and remember we talked about the arms of, the arms of silver and the chest of silver, and we said that that the that the interpretation was that the that was going to that kingdom was going to overtake Babylon. Well, we're in chapter uh, chapter five, and the Persians and the Medes are now about to overtake Babylon. And so they are moving in. The, the army is marching uh, closer and they know that death awaits them. What do you think they're doing while they know annihilation is about to happen? Turn up. All right. Let's read verse one. And see what they're doing. King Belshazzar. By the way, King Nebuchadnezzar is, is de- has died. And, and so now there's a new king of Babylon. King Belshazzar made a great feast of a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of a thousand Belshazzar when he tasted the wine commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple of Jerusalem be bought and that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink of them then they bought in the golden vessels That had been taken out of the temple and the house of their God in Jerusalem and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drink from them. They drink wine and praise. Watch this. The gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Wait a second. They know that the Persians are on their way. They know it. They know it because they 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 would have sent intel and find out how close they are. But they also know it because God prophesied it in chapter two. They know that annihilation waits them. And in the midst of knowing you would think that they would be preparing battle plans you would think that they would be coming together and getting their generals together and figure out a war strategy you would think they would walk around the wall and figure out the breaches in the wall so that the wall is remember i said it was 56 miles around babylon the wall and in certain places was 300 feet high you would think they would inspect the wall to make sure it's strong and impenetrable watch this they're not doing any of that they said get the concubines get the wives get the lords get the wine we about to have a party so in the midst of annihilation they are partying. I don't want to underestimate or understate, I should say, how epic this party was. A thousand people. If you ever had a wedding with 150 people, you know that this is a big party. A thousand people are here. In the first four verses, wine is mentioned three times. In fact, the the Aramaic chapter 5 is written in Aramaic one of the only books the only book in the Bible uh, that has a few chapters written not in Hebrew or Greek but Aramaic and in this word wine in Aramaic the Aramaic participle of for drink is continuous drinking so this isn't one of those parties where you drink a little bit when I was in college man I went to this keg party this is this is I'm just giving you all this is before I met Jesus and I get in a keg party and they had one rule they said, give him one of them red cups. Y'all know them red cups is the devil, right? <laughs> them solo cups ain't got nothing spiritual in them. I'm just telling you right now. So they said, give him one of them red cups. And, and I walked in the door and they filled the cup up. And they said, the one rule of being in the party is the cup got to stay full. So every time you drink, they come and somebody's pouring more in. Well, needless to say, I, I don't know how that night ended. Now, I'm not glorifying. I'm just telling you that was the type, that was the type of party. So when it says they drank, it was continuous drinking. Don't forget concubines are mentioned concubines would have meant that those commentators will suggest that concubines means that they are having sex in this party. And this is a party that is full of orgies because concubines in ancient times were really sex slaves. All of his wives were there. All of his concubines were there. By the way, they're drinking, too, because he says, pull out them vessels and give everybody some. It's enough to go around. This was a very godless party. Why? Because when death is near, people tend to distract themselves with amusement. Here's a question, because y'all are getting real judgmental on Babylon. Now that you and I know... That death awaits all of us in this room. I'm not trying to be morbid, but you are closer to death now than when you first walked in. And if death doesn't come for you, we all know the end of the story that Jesus will return for us. So all of us know that we have an expiration date. There's going to be a, a time where this world and this, this, this earth, this, there's a time where it ends. And here's the question. Now that you know it is ending, ending what are you doing with your life now? Are you going through life and distracting yourself, even though you know that death awaits all of us? Now, you may not have the Persians coming in and closing in on you, uh, but I, I guarantee that now that we know that death is close, I guarantee that there's somebody in this room that is spending their life partying. And I'm not saying partying as in a DJ and strobe lights and that red solo cup. That's not the party I'm talking about. But we go through our go through lives and there's so many distractions around us. But yet we know that the end is near. Why do we do that? Because whenever we are met with annihilation, we distract ourselves with amusement. Here's what Jesus says. Matthew chapter three, verse two. Jesus talks about the end times. It's called eschatological. It's an eschatological position. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand means it's close. It's near. This is bad English, but good theology. Even though Jesus said it's near, it's nearer now than when Jesus first said it. Do you realize that Jesus is saying the thought of death should cause us to repent and follow Jesus? But unfortunately, there's many of us in this room that have the thought of death, but we don't repent and follow Jesus. We turn up. We distract ourselves and we do a bunch of stuff as though we don't know that life is going to end. Life will end. In fact, there's a verse tucked away in James chapter four, verse 14. It says you don't know. What your life is, and you don't know what tomorrow will bring, for you are a mist that appears for a little while, then the text says, and then it vanishes. Have you ever seen a mist? Have you, have you, you ever sprayed something and seen a mist? I want to kind of play this out just a little bit. My wife's in Miami, she comes back tomorrow, so I took you. This is what she sprays her hair with, so I <laughs> she, don't tell her. But I went to the sink and I got it. It's just water, and so. We live our life. And th- this is how this is how quick this is how quick our life is. That's a mist, And it's here for a little bit. It's here for a little bit. And the next thing you know, it vanishes. And so what we do is we go through life and we're like, girl, I'm living my best life. And God is like, that's your best life right there. It's, 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 it's quick. It's, it vanishes. It's here for a little bit. That's what we do with our money. We spend all of our money. You know, the text says we build bigger barns and we store up and we're never generous and we never help anybody else. And God is like, nice, but that's your life. That, that's how quickly it goes. We spend our lives in relationships that are unfruitful, that are not God's will. And God is like, that relationship is definitely got to go <laughs> quicker, quicker. Got to go. it Got to go. This is what our lives look like. And the crazy thing is when you think of eternity, this is quick. That that moves fast. That's that's not going to stay long. But unfortunately, we live our lives and we turn up and we buy Balenciaga's and we buy Montclair coats. And because we want to stud our stuff in front of everybody and God is like missed, gone, quick, fast. And so now that we know that death awaits all of us. Now that we know that Jesus is coming back for us, how are we living our lives? And I believe that many of us are like the Babylonians. Many of us are saying, man, bring out the concubines, bring the wine out. We live by this eat, drink and be merry uh, motto. And it's only going to lead to destruction. We need to do like Jesus says in Matthew 3, repent and follow him because the kingdom of God is at hand. All right. What else is going on in this party? Watch what happens. Verse five. It says immediately while they're partying, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the walls of the king's palace opposite of the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote and the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters and the Chaldeans and the astrologers. Do you all notice this is the third time they've tried to bring in the wise people from Babylon. and They can't get the job done. It says here, it says the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads the writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have chain of gold and around his neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but none of them could read the writing and make known to the king its interpretation. The king, uh, then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. Watch this. Verse 10, the queen. So that's not his wife. That would have been probably Nebuchadnezzar's wife, the queen because of the words of the king and his uh, and his lords came into the banquet hall and the queen declared "O king live forever let not your thoughts trouble you or your color change there is a man in your kingdom and who is the spirit of the holy gods in the days of your father's Light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. The king uh, and King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians and enchanters and Chaldeans and astrologers, because of his excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding and interpret and to interpret dreams and explain riddles and solve problems. Says were found in Dan, were found in Daniel, whom the king named uh, Belteshazzar, and now. Let Daniel be called and he will show you the interpretation. Watch what the king does. Then Daniel was brought in before the king and the king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods live in you. I don't know if you you, you're picking up what's happening here. They're partying in the midst of the party. The Bible says that a hand appears out of nowhere and the hand starts writing on the wall. This is a real story, by the way. Sometimes we read this stuff like that's cute. This, is a, this really happened. So this hand appears and it starts writing on the wall. So they call the astrologers, Chaldeans, and call all the wise men together in Babylon and they, they ask them, what, what is the interpretation? What does this mean? None of them can figure it out. Once again, first of all, he should fire all of them. Like, I don't even know why he's still dealing with them. They can't figure it out. So they say, the queen says, oh, wait, wait, wait. King live forever. There's a guy in our kingdom in which the spirit of God is in the king must have knew about him, because when Daniel comes in, he says, oh, you are Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah. He says, I have heard of you and I have heard that the spirit of the gods live in you in the middle of the party. They literally realize that there's somebody that's in the kingdom that has a reputation of being godly. How in the world, in the midst of Babylon, that Daniel has dwelled for so long, how is he still consistent? How is he still faithful? His reputation in this text is preceding him. He was known as a godly man. He was known as a man of prayer. We'll see that in the next chapter. He was known as a faithful, devout man that trusted in the Lord. And I read this this morning and wondered, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had the reputation that Daniel has while we live in our Babylon? What if we had people that would vouch for us the same way? If I asked your friends to describe you, would they say the spirit of God lives in her? Would they somebody said no? <laughs> Help, Lord. Would they, would they say that? Man, she's a woman of prayer. Would they say, yo, yo my dude, man, that dude reads his words. Would they would they mark us by character and integrity and faithfulness? Would they say, you know what, they could have got away with that, but they chose not to do that because the spirit of God lives in them. What if we were known the way Daniel was known by the queen and the king? Unfortunately, many of us are known for things that are ungodly. Or maybe you're known for good things, but they're not godly things. Maybe you're known for your occupation. If they describe you, they'd be like, oh, she's a doctor or he works here. Maybe we're known and our identity is tied to our occupation Or, or, or it's tied to our money or it's tied to where we live or it's tied to like superficial stuff. The question is, how many of us want to be known as people that have the spirit of God living in us? People that pray, people that don't gossip, people that talk straight and talk about Jesus, people that don't laugh at everything. Everything ain't funny. People that are different. What if we were known the way Daniel is known? The Bible says that Daniel comes in and, and, and the queen comes in first. And then she says, man, there's a guy, he, 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 the spirit of God lives in him. He can interpret the dream for you. And then he, he recalls, he says, the way he did for your father, Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, this isn't actually his father. This word father here in the English language really is speaking of um, of of the lineage. It's not his direct father. And this kind of messes me up, too. It's not his direct father because his his direct father would have been a guy named uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. That was Belshazzar's father. So Nebuchadnezzar is his grandfather, which don't miss this. That means that the queen watched Daniel be faithful, not through one king. But through several kings and that's what I love about Daniel is that he doesn't he's not godly sometimes he's godly all the time and that's my prayer for you my prayer for you is that you wouldn't be godly just one week of the year that you wouldn't read your bible just sometimes but that you would be that is what the Christian faith is the Christian faith is not filled with a bunch of mystical moments a lot of the Christian faith is mundane It's it's just regular. It's just boring times. And that's why people fall in sin, because when they're bored, we always distract ourselves with amusement. But maturing Christians know everything ain't climactic. Every moment ain't a mystical moment, every moment. I ain't got goosebumps. But even in the moments of life that are boring, I want to be faithful to God. The spirit of God lives in you. Even in those moments that are quiet and nobody knows, you can get away with it in those moments. I want to reflect character. Would you look up to heaven and just say, God, bless our character. Like, like bless our reputation. Like, let us, I'm, I'm glad you're known for good stuff, but God, let us be known for God's stuff. Let us be known because you've been good to us. And so, therefore, we want to remain faithful to you. Even though we're not 100% always faithful to you, give us a higher percentage at least. Help us to be a little bit more faithful to you than we were last week. So in the midst of the party, hand comes out, starts writing on the wall, writes these words that nobody can explain. So the queen says, bring Daniel in. Daniel comes in. Look at what happens next. Verse 13, verse 14. So Daniel comes in. I've heard of you, that the spirit of the gods lives in you and that you have understanding and excellent wisdom is found in you. Now, when the wise men and enchanters have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. It says, but they could not show me the interpretation of this matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read this writing and make it known to me, the interpretation, you should be clothed with purple and have chains of gold around your neck and you should be third ruler in the kingdom. So Daniel is now getting offered money and a promotion. Watch how he declines it. Verse 17, then Daniel answered and said to him, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing of the king and make known to him its interpretation. O king, the most high, God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness." And glory and majesty and because of the greatness that he gave him all the peoples and nations and languages trembled and feared before him whom he would he killed whom he would he kept alive whom he would he raised up whom he would he humbled but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly he brought down he he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. Now, verse 21 is exactly what happened in, in, in the last chapter. He was driven amongst the children of mankind, and in his, mind, his mind became like the mind of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkey. He was fed grass like an ox. It says, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until He knew that the most high was the God that rules mankind and sets over them whom he wills. Watch verse 22. And you, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, humbled your heart there, though you knew all of this. So in other words, you knew what happened to your grandfather and you still chose to be proud. How did you choose to be proud? Here it is. But you lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought before you and you. And your lords and your wives and concubines have drunk wine from them and you have praised God, the gods of silver and gold and bronze and wood and stone, which do not hear or know. I love this verse. But the God whose hand is in your is is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. So in other words, don't just peep that they're in the midst of an epic party. Don't, Don't just peep how many people are there. Don't just peep that they're drinking wine. What I need you to dig deeper is is figure out what are they drinking wine from? In verse two, the Bible says that Belshazzar said, yo, my grandfather, when he overtook uh, Judah, when he overtook Israel, he went into the Jerusalem temple. And when he went into the temple, he took the things, the vessels that were consecrated for the Lord. Watch what he says. Go get the fine china. Bring that out. We all going to party, but we're going to drink from things. Don't miss this. That were consecrated for the Lord. And when I read this, I thought to myself, what ways do I take things that were consecrated for the Lord and use them on my, on myself? There's three ways that this happens. I'm only going to talk about two because one of them is money. And, you know, God gives us money and, and and all of it is his. But we spend all of it on ourselves and we give him nothing. I'm not going to spend time talking about that because I feel like I talked about money the last two weeks. And you all going start thinking I'm a prosperity preacher and the devil's a liar. I'm not a prosperity preacher. So I'm going to leave money over here for a second. But we also take things that are consecrated to the Lord and we use them on ourselves at least two other ways. One of them. Is your gifts and talents, the things that he's put in you. We take those things and we make money for ourselves and we, we, we make a name and a reputation for ourselves and we never bring God glory by the things that he put in you. Those little giftings you have, little things you're good at. How are you bringing God glory with those things? And when you don't, don't miss this. He doesn't see you as slothful or lazy. He actually sees you as wicked. Go to Matthew 25 real quick. Come on, go to Matthew 25. So the first way we do this is money. I'm not going to talk about the second way is is the gifts and talents that he gives us are consecrated to bring him glory. But we don't do that. Watch this. This parable, man. Matthew 25. There's a parable of the talents. And in this parable, man, there's three people and these three people get a certain amount of wealth all given to them based on their ability. And when they're given this wealth, there's an expectation that they would produce. That they would use those talents, that they would do something with them and bring back the master more than he gave them. But watch what happens here. Verse 14. Talking about the kingdom for it will be like a man going on a journey. Who called his servants and entrusted them with his property to one. He gave five talents. Somebody say five talents to another. He gave two talents. Somebody say two talents to another. He gave one talent. Somebody say one talent. So here's what we know. Out of the three guys, one gets five, one gets two, and the other one gets one. It says to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So he doubled. It says so. Also, he who had two talents went and made two talents more. So they both doubled. What's crazy is the one that that brought back four. God didn't frown on him because he didn't bring back more than the guy that had five. He knew he knows their starting point. He knows what he gave them. Here, but here's what they both did. They both doubled. But watch what happens. Verse seventeen. Verse eight. Uh, verse eighteen. But he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of the house. Uh, those servants came and settled the accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you have delivered to me five talents. Here, I have five more talents. His master said to him, watch what he says. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also Uh, Who had two talents came forward saying, master, you have delivered to me two talents here. I have made two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Here's why I want to park. Verse 24. He also who had received one talent came forward and said, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering Where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid I went and hid your talent in the ground here. Here's what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. I read that earlier this week and I was like, how could you call him wicked? He didn't spend the money on prostitution. He he didn't blow the money on gambling. He gave back to the master exactly what the master gave to him. So in other words, the master gave him a thousand dollars. He didn't give him back nine hundred ninety nine. He gave him back a thousand. Why would I at best? I would say he's lazy. Should have did something with that. God doesn't see that action as lazy. God is like, if I put something in you, I expect you to produce. And when you don't produce, you are not lazy or slothful. You're wicked. And what we've done is God has given so many of us giftings, gifting to do so many things. And we've taken it, the things that God has consecrated in you and you've built a life to where it only glorifies you. And God is like, you're wicked. Because see, what we've done is we've read this and we're like, oh, my God, Belshazzar. I can't believe he took the the, the vessels from Jerusalem. You might not have went to Jerusalem, but you're doing the same thing. When you take what God has put in you and use it for you, you are doing the exact same thing Belshazzar is doing. You know, the other way we do it, the third way, we do it with sex. Sex is consecrated in the context between a husband and a wife. And what we do is we take a thing that God has made beautiful and good. I need a married person to say A to the man right there. And we've taken it and we've perverted it. And so let me talk to the brothers for a second. Bro, when you sleep around, you're not only disrespecting the young ladies that you're sleeping with, but you are also robbing God from the thing that He has consecrated as beautiful. Bro when you look at porn this is one of those churches, we're going to jump right into it. When you look at porn, number one, that is somebody's daughter. But number two, you are taking the thing that God has consecrated as beautiful and you are perverting it. And God doesn't see the action as bad or just naughty. It's wicked. Ladies, can, can I can I? I'm not just going to get the brothers today. When you have a hot girl summer, you are taking the thing that God has consecrated as good and you are perverting it. I can't say this in the pulpit, but when you. Seek after a blank boy. Oh, Y'all fill it on in. Y'all act like y'all don't say it. Knock it off. When you go through life and you're like, oh, I'm just, I just need a tune-up. I just need, need an oil change. When you go through life, somebody like oil change, tune-up. Tune up. I'm trying to colorify the word, man. When you go through life and you're looking only for a blank boy, I'm telling you, you are taking the thing that God has created as beautiful and you are perverting it and you are robbing God. You're no different than Belshazzar. And here's the problem. Belshazzar's fate awaits you. If that's your life, you'll read the last verse and see what happens to Belshazzar listen and i know i don't know why i'm getting stuck here on sex i didn't get stuck here in the first service but there there is somebody that is that you're just that's where you are you're promiscuous you don't like it's like man whatever whoever like and it's it's so dangerous you are right ro- that's not just a one night stand it's a night you rob god you rob god of getting the glory in that moment and bro listen man you can't control your flesh man you can't stop to with your girl man Get married. You know Song of Solomon 7, 8 says climb up that tree and grab the melons. (laughs) Okay, it says fruit, but a fruit is a melon, all right? That's what it says. Climb up in that tree. Somebody's like, it don't say melons. It says fruit, whatever. (laughs) A fruit is a melon. It says climb up in the tree. That's what it says. Man, I feel like I'm getting too night here. That's what it is. (laughs) There's another place in Song of Solomon where he says, I would like to walk through her garden and eat of the fruit. Y'all fill in the blank on that one. <laughs> sex is beautiful. The, the first mention of sex is be fruitful and multiply. It's not perverted. It's, it's good. It's all everything i made is good. And it's a gift that God has given to us. But when we go out of the context. God, I know I'm preaching to somebody. When you go out of the context of a husband and a wife, you rob God. So what happens when we rob God? Here's how Belshazzar did it. He said, man, look, them vessels, those things were consecrated to bring myself glory. And you took it and not only drank out of it with your wives and concubines and your lords. But watch this. You also started praising your gods. He said they praise the God of gold and their gods of silver. and, And God is like you praising another God off of stuff that is consecrated for me. So what happens? Hand comes out and starts writing on the wall. No no matter what the no matter what pride he had before, I don't know how he was as a king before. In this moment, what made his destruction inevitable was that he took the things of God and he used them on himself. Watch this verse. Look at verse 24. So here's the interpretation. It says from his presence, the hand was uh, was was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tickle, Parson. Now he's going to give the interpretation. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mine, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tickle, here's the interpretation. You have been weighed in the balance and found wanted. Perez, or Parson, same thing. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple and chains and of gold and was put around his neck. And the proclamation was made about him. That he should be third in the kingdom. Watch how verse 30 uh, reads in verse 31. That very night, not the next day, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean, was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. Being about 60, uh, 62 years old, now when we read this and we're like, "Oh, Mene, Mene, parson tickle, like whatever, let's go." do you know that writing is not just for the Babylonian king, but that writing is for you too? You know that all of us apart from Jesus in this room, our days are numbered. All of us apart from Jesus, we've been weighed and we've been found guilty. Apart from Jesus, the kingdom of our little kingdoms that we erect in our heart will be snatched from us. This text applies to you. If you walk out and be like, oh, that was a cute, cute sermon. You've missed it. The same writing that was on the wall in Daniel chapter five is being written on your heart this morning. Okay, y'all know this ain't the first time God wrote with his finger, right? The first time he wrote with his finger was in Exodus chapter 20. It's repeated again in Deuteronomy chapter five. That's the Ten Commandments. And when he wrote the first time, he was really pointing us to Jesus. So many people get confused on what the Ten Commandments is. The Ten Commandments were never given as a list that you had to keep in order to appease God. The Ten Commandments were given as a list that you couldn't keep. That's why you needed Jesus, because Jesus flawlessly kept the list. Even if you got a nine out of 10 on the test, do you know the New Testament says if you fell at one part, you fell at all of it? So you really didn't get a 90, you got a zero. But Jesus wraps himself in flesh and comes down and dwells among us and he spotlessly keeps the commandments, not just the 10, but over 600 in the Old Testament. He never sinned. He kept the law perfectly and goes to the cross by God in heaven and he dies for your sin and gives you the list like you got a hundred. Boo! -boo, You got a zero, but he gives you the list. So the first time he wrote with his finger was actually pointing us to the work that Jesus would do. The second time he wrote with his finger was in our passage, and don't you disconnect? It is also pointing us to our need for Jesus, because somebody in this room, God is God is calling you right now. He's saying, "Boo, your days are numbered." He's saying, "I'm about to snatch the little mini kingdom of your life." He's looking at your life. He's like, you've been weighed and you have been found guilty. You need my son. Oh, good. I'm going to go a little bit deeper than I'm going to end. I'm going to land the plane here in this region. So we're talking about Babylonian wise men in this very region. Do you know over 500 years later, there are wise men that come from the same region, not a different region, the same region. And these wise men. I believe this is this might be a little bit of conjecture, but I believe that these wise men knew to look up for salvation at the star. And here's why. Because of stories like this, because passed down generation to generation to generation, they would have known that the God of Israel saves from fire. They would have known that he gives dreams and interprets dreams. They would have known about Mene Mene Tickle Parson. They would have known that God works in mysterious ways and mystical ways. And so I believe that the wise men from this same region, Babylon was long gone when Jesus came. But I believe that from this same region, they were able to follow the star because they knew how God worked in the past. They finally get all the way to Bethlehem. And when they get to Bethlehem and they look inside of the manger, they're able to say, here's the savior of the world. And I believe they're able to say that because they knew that God was mystical. God, you wrapped God in flesh. What kind of like the gospel is the is the biggest mystery. It's, it's, It's so mystical to me. It is so miraculous that dead hearts come alive. Don't just think you are saved. Like it's a miracle you're saved. And he doesn't nobody could have thought up the gospel. See, if I if I'm if you give me any type of power or authority to write scripture, which God would never do. But if, if he ever gave me that, I'd be like, man, we we got to we got to get into heaven, eating cheesesteaks and drinking seven up. That, that would be how we get into heaven. God is like, no, 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 no. I'm going to wrap my son, my only son. And I'm going to put him in flesh and he's going to dwell amongst the people for 33 years. And in the midst of dwelling amongst the people, he's going to fulfill the law, not do away with it. He's going to fulfill it. He's going to keep all of the law, just like I wanted Israel to do, but they couldn't do. And so therefore, when he goes to a cross, he goes perfect, dies for us, absorbs the very wrath of God, absorbs the writing on the wall so that you and I can stand before God free and clear of any punishment. That's the gospel. And so look, I, I know some of you in this room, your, your friend brought you. Like, you know, maybe you were scrolling and you, you, you saw something online. You're like, oh, they play Biggie during Welcome. That's, that sounds cool. You know, lights are nice. The logo is nice. Let me just go check them out. Maybe you were riding by and you saw the sign outside. You're like, let me go check them out. But really, you're here because there's a divine appointment you're here because God has been writing on the wall of your heart and today not did you notice that Belshazzar died the same night in the midst of the party he dies and I refuse to be a preacher that's not honest with you I'm not using scare tactics I just know that God is serious when God says he's going to do something He does it. Can I give further proof? I'm ending. I'm closing the Bible. Let me give further proof that he actually he's honest. He does what he says. The fact that he prophesied it in chapter two and it actually happened in chapter five means God keeps his promise. We're about to celebrate the resurrection of our king in a few weeks. The fact that the tomb is empty, even though even when he said it would be empty, empty, the fact that the tomb is empty and you can't find Jesus body is because when he says something, he does it. Here's what I know about the things that he says. There is a day that he will come back because he said he would. And you might be living life now and you might be turning up with that red solo cup now but at some point, at some point when he cracks the sky and the trumpet sounds, Bible says that he's going he's going to wear a, a, a long white robe. He's going to mount up on, up on a horse and his robe is dipped in blood. And his eyes transform and become like fire. Do you know the Bible literally says, Josh, that there's going to be a sword that comes out of his mouth? He's going to chop down his enemies. But all of us that have trusted in Jesus, we ain't got no fear. There is therefore no condemnation for those of us who love Jesus. And so those of you who don't know Jesus today, you need to get it right. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow's not promised. Fulton Street is, I mean, uh, uh, Atlantic Avenue is a busy street. You can walk out today and get hit by a car. Today, do you know where you will spend eternity? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I believe that, I believe that everybody's on the altar today. I do. I believe, I believe that all of us have been weighed, and our days are numbered. I believe that all of us have been found guilty. I believe that all of us are guilty of building many kingdoms. And oftentimes we take we take good things, good things, and we make them our God. I want to pray for somebody that's taking the vessels from Jerusalem and using them on yourself. Here's what I love about our God that. He wants to redeem you. He's a good God. I love that the worship team was singing that over and over again, that he's good. You are good. And in his goodness today, he offers you the opportunity to get it right. He offers the opportunity for those that the writing is on the wall and you've been partying. But you trust in Jesus, but you're partying. And I'm not talking literal partying. I'm talking living your life oblivious that the end is near. I want to pray for you today. And I also want to pray for the person that doesn't know Jesus. May your ending not be Belshazzar's ending. Where you die godless. Where you die away from the presence of the Lord. I'm going to end in a minute. You know, the scariest part of hell is not the gnashing of teeth. The Scariest part of hell is not the unquenchable fire. The scariest part of hell is that you'll be you'll you'll be separated from a good king Forever. Scares your boy. I can take the fire. I can take the gnashing of teeth. But your boy loved Jesus. I can't. I can't spend eternity away from him. And I want to pray for somebody today that doesn't know him. Father, pray for everybody in the room. You're good. You're you're so good. You're so gracious that you give us give us passages like this. I would have never. God, I would have never preached this today. But I believe that you. To finally woke the person up this morning and brought them here so they can hear your word I believe that you've orchestrated us to go through Daniel 5 today because you're providential and you're good so father may we respond rightly may we ask somebody that looks like they are connected what must I do to be saved may we look at our friends and wrestle girl you partying meaning are you going through life and distracting yourself with amusement. Father, help us to be aligned to you. Help us be aligned to your will. We thank you for Jesus, for the work that he has done on the cross. Because he's done that on the cross, I can stand before you and I can confidently worship you. As we go into a time of worship, Father, we worship you because we are confident that you're good. Because we know that you're kind. Because we know that you're coming back for us one day.